Christian McPherson's poetry has appeared in various journals, anthologies, and online publications. His stories and poems have won several awards and honorable mentions, including the John Spencer Hill Award and the Ottawa Public Library Short Story Award. Christian was born and raised in Ottawa, where he still resides. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk today about poems that swim from your brain, like rats leaving a sinking ship. Uh, this is, a co- is your first collection? This is my first collection, yes. You wrote these because you needed some sort of catharsis? Sort of a series of tragedies. My father passed away in 1999, and then a very close friend of mine also passed away the, the next year, and my stepfather died the same day the next year as my father. So it was uh, sort of three deaths in a one-year period. So uh, those poems were written over the last eight or nine years. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But I still think they're about that time. At least some of them are. Well, death is clearly prominent in most of them. Yeah, it wasn't really my intention. It just sort of, that's how it came out. Yeah. Although when I hear about poetry and death, I always think of some sort of, you know, young girl clad in black, you know, slicing her wrists in the hallway of, you know, high school and... I don't think that's what they're like. I think some of them are actually kind of positive. And I definitely say that from my reading of them, there's a lightheartedness to them. It does have to do with death and devils and madmen and zombies and, uh, <laughs> and booze and cobwebs, emptiness and wasted lives. But <laughs> despite that whole litany, it's actually kind of strangely lighthearted. How do you do that? I don't know, I just have a good sense of humor, so I, I tend to see the positive or the funny in tragedy. Otherwise, if, you know, if you don't, I just, I don't know, you'd be miserable all the time. Well, there is quite a bit to potentially to get really miserable about, isn't there? There is. You just and turn and on TV. your TV, yeah. And in fact, TV on. is mentioned frequently here. Yeah, because every time I turn on my television, it's just sadness after sadness after horror. So the way you deal with it is... You write uh, poetry that sort of makes fun of it. Yeah. The war, crazy people. Well, let's get into it. Why don't I get you to read Depressed America? Okay. Depressed America. Mickey Mouse drank hard booze and shot himself with Brodigan's gun. Snow White brought the, bought the Sylvia Plath play oven for her kids. Herbie is in line with the John Kennedy tool drive through car wash. Bambi got shot in a drive-by with Hemingway's rifle. And Jimmy Cricket's several suicides attempt failed, but he got Bukowski's cancer in the end. Welcome to America. A little sardonic there. <laughs> yeah. Are you suicidal? No. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think about death a lot, uh, and not it just, you know, in terms of, like, you know, what, what am I growing today? Uh, is this my day? You know, is this when the bus is going to get me? Uh, uh, you know, I think about you know, cancer, brain tumors, heart attacks, this kind of thing. Not, I, I don't believe I'm going to die. I don't obsess over it, but I, I just, I try to enjoy each day because you never know when you're going to go. When my grandfather first died, uh, when I was about eight, it, that had a big impact on me in the sense that you know, you're not coming back at some point. Like, this will end. And it was kind of like, whoa, yeah, like, I'm going to check out. And then my, my stepmother died when I was about 20, 21. 
And that was another one of those, like, oh, yeah, remember, this is happening. And it's going to happen to everyone. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of okay with that. It's almost comforting to know that everyone will die. So. Poems that swim from my brain like rats leaving a sinking ship. Depressed America, that kind of critique of superficial, wasted life. Yeah, contrasting sort of the, the cleanliness and uh, superficiality of Disney and all these American writers who've like shot themselves yeah. and off themselves. Now, there's some lines that I particularly enjoy that I'll draw out at you. This is from Blue Eels. We took the elevator down. It was as slow as the dying trying to get out of bed. On my way to meet my maker, here we are with death. Death started to make noise like a wooden stick being dragged quickly across a metal railing. Death's just an old drunk. So you're uh, detoosing death here, right? Yeah, I'm just having a little bit of fun as well. Having a drink with death is almost Monty Python-esque. Who are you speaking to in these poems, do you think? Well, I mean, some of them are a little more political than others. Some of them are almost... I don't know if any writing is not a little bit self-indulgent. Some of them are for myself. I mean, I hope people enjoy them and they read them, right? I mean, but I, there are certain ones that are directed at a more conservative population, especially the one about Ode to Humanity. And an Ode to Humanity in the style of Dr. Seuss. I underlined toward the end here, he's killed everyone, right? And then he, then, so he turned the gun on himself and he made the human race nil. And soon after this, the earth became healthy and strong, everything flourishing blessedly with humanity gone. It's a little dark. <laughs> <laughs> Better place without it. Yeah, maybe. Although I like humanity. It's a dark ending. But it's not to say that I don't like people or, or uh, the human race. But I, I think we have the potential to wipe ourselves out. It might, might happen. It's another theme that sort of runs through many of these poems is you use the word skull quite often. Here in this poem called Cathartic, a club-footed creature hobbles around the inside of your skull, a nomad in anti-gravity. Your skull is inhabited by <laughs> some demons. I'm bringing it all personally to you, of course, which is, is kind of a pretty amateur as well. <laughs> well, um, the you know the idea of this solipsistic existence where you know you're alone your entire life. Uh, you can socialize with people and you can be with them intimately but it is still just you your mind trapped behind the eyes it's a little bit bleak i think there's another there's another reference in the cooler king to your, your brain or your skull being a prison there's i think there's different types of prisons right you're sort of you're in a prison in yourself all the time mm -hmm. and there's like a prison like a day job yeah there's an actual physical prison well, it's funny, too. I mean, I can, I can tell that you were born and raised in Ottawa because there's there's a lot of that mentality at work here. And I'm a civil servant, so, yeah. Are you surrounded by that kind of waiting for the pension mentality? Yeah, yeah, it's really tough. <laughs> it must be. Yeah. Well, this must be an outlet for you. Then. Yeah, it is, for sure. If anyone's listening <laughs> that I work with, uh, I love all the people I work with. It's just, you know, it's the same kind of thing over and over again. But it's very stable. I don't have to worry about... Uh, what do you mean it's the same kind of thing? The, the work is... The work is the same, pretty much the same over, right. over and over. Yeah. Uh, but it's very stable and secure, especially with... Uh, if you have little kids. A colleague 
he used to work in the private sector, and he was working incredibly long hours and would get out at 8, 9 o'clock at night and sit in his car and cry because the stress and the pressure was so great. Yeah. And I, you know, when I when I leave work, I just don't think about it. You leave so, work. Um, and it's done pretty much all the time. I mean, there's certain times, you know, you get busy and your mind wanders to that. But for the most part, I, I so that's what I like about it, right? I can just shut it off. And the hours are very flexible. What is it, if you don't mind my asking? I'm a computer programmer for the Canadian Revenue Agency. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You read that poem, Depressed America, and the uh, the skull being like a prison. And a lot of these poets have had to deal with their brains actually turning against themselves, mm. grappling with the fact that they're telling them to, to kill themselves. Mm. Yeah. It's a, it's a scary thing. My father was mentally ill, and he tried to kill himself twice. And Around you, or were you aware of it? I went to sort of pick him up both times, yeah. So once he tried to hang himself, uh, and the other time he tried to do it with pills. And he failed on both, so eventually he died of cancer. But you, you actually found him after he tried to... Well, he, he called me uh, both times, yeah. And how old were you? Uh, I was in my uh, mid twenties. Right. Yeah. Thankfully, he, he he called you. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was a mess both times. I had to take him to the hospital, and there were several times I had to uh, go to the courthouse and get a form, take it to the police, and go pick him up and drag him to the uh, to the loony bin. So that was a tough period. So I mean, when when he died, finally, I kind of had you know mixed feelings about it because uh, I mean. Yes, it was very sad, and no longer had a father, but at the same time, I was kind of, our roles had been reversed, I was, had been taking care of him in sort of the best capacity I could by, you know, sort of visiting him and taking food to him and meeting him for, you know, once a week for dinner and this kind of thing. Uh, so I mean, it was a sort of a, a responsibility for you that... Uh, that I didn't want. Yeah, so you, you, come, you come by this knowledge of sadness, honestly... There's a poem called Rats, where you equate words with uh, their little wet prints that run all over the all over the page. Again, these are rats coming out of your brain. Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, when I when I write some of them down, they, they seem to it's almost physical in the sense that it's I have to get up and do it right away, and uh-huh. like an obsessive compulsive disorder almost. You know, I might be up in the wake up in the night and. Maybe not write the poem, but just the idea, you know, one or two lines, Mm -hmm. just because I know what it is that I want to write. And so that idea that these these things come out and and sort of splatter on across the page is kind of the imagery. But they're rats. Rats aren't the most pleasant. No. They're not not little angels dancing on pinheads. No. No, they're not. You have to rat imagery. I don't know where exactly it's come from, but it's maybe I, I, I look at myself and, and maybe my opinion of my my brain is not so high or something. I'm not sure. Mr. Hyde is a very interesting uh, reflection here. You would never become so enraged by the trivial so as to end up screaming obscenities at total strangers. No. I, I think there's some great truth in that, that at the end of the day, when you come home and you've had a bad day at work and, and things have gone sour, you know, your wife blew up the microwave that you just bought uh, by putting, you know, tin foil in there, that is when she receives the brunt 
of uh, your days were at where you wouldn't do that to anyone else, I don't think. Ironic, isn't it? Just writing that, you know, kind of admitting to myself that sometimes I've, I've been an asshole. Try to, try to reflect or, like, fix that. Getting back to the religion theme, I'm speaking with uh, Christian McPherson, who is the author of Poems That Swim From My Brain Like Rats Leaving a Sinking Ship. These secular onion ring memories float up to the top of the mind's deep fryer. I can almost taste them. I'm seven. I'm free of religion and cholesterol. Yeah, I mean, that, that poem is uh, about going to my grandparents' cottage with my father, who did make a, a homemade water slide. And uh, it was just sort of about that. And uh, my, my grandparents were very, uh, very religious. I grew up in sort of a secular household, and I was free of all that. But uh, occasionally I went to church with my father with when we visited my grandparents uh, in Florida. And they were very, I think my father was quite you know, mentally abused. His grandfather was very strict, and uh, I think there were some beatings. And when my father became mentally ill later on, he turned to religion. So yeah, so it, was, it, was, it was about that. Well, let's turn to something a little bit more uh, upbeat. Okay. Your smile ripped away the jackets of jest and insecure, mocking voices of loveless fools. Your smile always did it for me. Uh, it's about my wife. Something about her that cuts through the bullshit. Something pure. Sounds pretty healthy. It's good. I underlined beer every time I saw it. So <laughs> did you do it count? No. Okay. That's what computer programs are for. Uh, I should do it count. I talked about your father finding faith. No Jesus for them. If you cannot have faith, neither can they. And if they do have it, it must be stripped away. So you you win the argument, but then you end up sitting by yourself. It was a, it was a poem uh, about two friends of mine, and they were arguing religion, and just the, the one would not let it go. The need to be right outweighed this person's need for their faith. And it just struck me as bizarre and wrong, even though I'm not a religious person at all. I just... You felt empathy or protective of the yeah. person with faith. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That just sort of poured out of me because of that that incident. I almost have a, a love-hate relationship with religion, right? I mean, I understand, I understand it. I can see the need for it in a way, but for the most part, I can just there's lots of destruction that goes along with it. Well, it's it's a it is a blessing for those who, if you're inculcated with it at a very early age and you've got it, then it can be a, a helpful, comforting source of strength throughout your life. Yeah, but I guess if, you, if you don't get the brainwashing early on, then yeah, I didn't if you don't it. buy it. The loss of Santa Claus equals sort of the loss of God, right? You know, find out that Santa Claus isn't real. How are you going to believe in the big imaginary guy that's there? Yeah. Guy, woman, whatever. On the same theme, this is the intellectual hunter poem. We're hunting for meaning. The people that have, have found it I found it, not you, reek of arrogance. What are you getting at there? It's almost like I'm making fun of my, my high school English teachers who would dissect poems. It was very pretentious and very, I don't know, it was almost like a secret society, something I found very false. There was a certainty, an arrogant certainty there that when you really knew that... This is that what it's about, right. and, and yes, and this is what you should understand from it and take from it. Mm. And, I don't know, it just seems like uh, overanalyzing a poem, I think, can just you just ruin it. 
Well, a lot of thought has been put into the choice of the words and the, yeah. the way the words have been placed in front of each other in such a way that that could possibly be the only way that the message can be delivered. I, you know, it depends on the length of the poem. And, I mean, you know, there's, there's what, I, what I don't like about some of the contemporary poets and poetry, a lot of it, most of it, <laughs> is there's just, I don't know what you're supposed to make of it, because it's just impenetrable, uh, esoteric. Do you have some examples? I don't want to name names. I, I don't want to offend people. <laughs> Rationale behind why you feel that way. There's some contemporary poets alive and kicking in well, and when I read their stuff, pick up in a, pick up any literary mag from any of these universities, the New Quarterly or Malhat Review or uh, any, any one of these things, right? You pick them up and flip through some of the poetry that's in there. Some of it's not bad. And a lot of it's just... Awful. I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it's an equivalent of, of abstract modern art. It's just not my cup of tea. You know, I need a, a decoder to go with it. You shouldn't. And I, I don't think I should, yeah. right? I think I should be able to sit down and read it and get something out of it that will either, you know, make me angry, but for, for a reason other than I don't understand it, right? Or it's going to do something for me, right? I have to have some sort of reaction to it. Yeah. But I want the reaction to be not frustration, Unless, of course, that's the intent of the poet in the first place, but that's rare. I mean, well, that's yeah, I think, you know, unless there's, like, hundreds of people wanting to frustrate each other, uh, you know, we got to reevaluate what's going on. My take is I think that great poetry, just like great fiction, is extremely rare. If you tell the truth, you are perceived as being a negative or reactionary. Mm. But the more I read, the more I realize that although there's a lot of great work out there, it's rare. Thankfully, we've got a couple thousand years to, you know, pick through and, and come up with a canon that is valuable. Why don't we go to drunk on the bathroom floor? <laughs> there's more beer, actually, isn't there? Yeah, I went through a period of my life where I was drinking heavily every day. Sometimes you wake up on the bathroom floor. This poem is called Resurrection, and it ends with TV will beat you into submission and you will cry for lost rainbows. This is from Rat Body Problem, opposed to Mind Body. The Labyrinth of the Skull. That poem is sort of about the separation. There's kind of a, an academic separation of the mind and the body. And I tend to think of it as one thing. The sculptor thinks with his hand. Partly because I think there's there's some sort of proof that if you you know when you play the piano you're strengthening the neural connection in your arm between your finger and your brain. So if you were to be able to take the brain out of one person and put another, I don't know if it would work so well because we feel different. It would be strange to them before and have to kind of relearn. So I think there's in a sense some thinking with your body, muscle memory, muscle memory. Yeah, exactly. The idea that you're just a brain with the soul floating around in there is kind of strange to me. I think you are, you are your body as well as your mind. And they, you can make a sort of theoretical connection, but that's it. I think you are linked with this sort of unit. I love this poem called Celery Sticks. It's fun. It's uh, another poet in the uh, a bit of jealousy here or something, but turns out he's a, you call him a mouthy quote boy. <laughs> and then everyone turns on him, including a writer, an English professor, who screams at him, quote this fucker, and kicks him in the gut with her high heels. You don't like mousy poets, then? No. I, you know, how many cocktail parties do you have to go to with some twit? 
quoting poems yeah. that no one else has heard. You mean you haven't read? Yeah, and that it's just irritating. Yeah, there's a little, there's some punches in there for sure. Well, let's wind it down if we can go with a couple more poems and then maybe end off with a little discussion of quiet desperation. But the two poems I'd like you to read are uh, The Sunday Sunset and Candy Cane. The Sunday Sunset. I have to tell you about this sunset I saw the other day. This was a fiery purple hell that lit up the sky like Satan's soul dissolving into an iodine milkshake. This Sunday was thick and creamy like cranberry butter sliding down the sides of a stack of peach waffles. This Sunday was like blueberry ice cream melting in a pan of electrical orange cord and yellow caution signs. And when it was over, I ran like an insane clown, like a drooling fish, into Dairy Queen and demanded a sunset Sunday. They told me they just had what was on the board. And the other one. Candy cane. Okay, I'll read it first and I have a comment after. <clears throat> Candy cane. A thousand black bats flew from your rotting heart as you bit into your hamster sandwich and washed it down with champagne while you plotted the demise of Santa Claus on the toilet as you shit gold and diamonds after you stole all the children's candy to make a peppermint dildo of death which you used to fuck everyone and make them feel like their teeth are falling out because they are not as clever as you. You are a hard candy bitch. I wrote that before my uh, stepfather died, who was a writer as well. He took me aside and sort of sat me down on the couch and said, you know, when you use words, you got to be, like, gentle. Uh, there's there's too much powerful imagery going on here. But I, He's I, giving you advice on your writing? Yes. He said this was a little <laughs> over the top, but I always kind of liked it. Is that an ex-girlfriend or just a general not feeling that great about women? Uh, a bit of both, yeah. Just finally, then, a couple of final poems here. The old horror movie. Again, I, I, I was struck by your your concern, your disgust with those who, who waste their lives. Yeah, well, I, I know people, they just they can't seem to break out of their daily routine just to taste life a little bit. And it, it saddens me, because I, I wish they would have the courage. I try to be encouraging to people. Yeah. You know, just to, to do whatever it is that they really want to do and they're, and they're not doing it, you know? Well, again, it's this need for security, correct? Perhaps, yeah. I mean, you know, there's financial security and also there's kind of, uh, not necessarily laziness, it's kind of fear of getting going on something, right? It's kind of uh, procrastination. All of a sudden you wake up and it's like your life has passed you by. You know, I always wanted to go to India, or I always wanted to, you know, you know, write a book, or I always wanted to, and you never did it, and it's like, well, why, why not? And you really don't want to have lived your life with regrets. No, and for the most part, except for a few things, I, I don't have very many. Well, let, let's end off then with the final signpost. This poem is here to knock you flat on your ass and kick you in the ribs as you crawl around like a coward. This poem is your last warning before you waste your life on fried, on a fried chicken dream and a soda pop soul existence. This poem is a final signpost telling you to go no further in a marshy wasteland of designer sunsets and calculated ice cream cones. <laughs>
as opposed to teaspoons. <laughs> Perhaps. Great. Thanks for uh, sharing your thoughts on these Good. interesting poems. I've been speaking with uh, Christian McPherson, who is the author of Poems That Swim From My Brain Like Rats Leaving a Sinking Ship, and previous to that, a collection of short stories called Six Ways to Sunday. And so now you're working on some I more have a novel, stories. actually. Pretty much done. So it's, it's a comedy. Dark comedy. There's some darkness in it, for sure. And I'm also working on a, a new collection of poems about being a father and a uh, husband and son. Well, best of luck with, with those. So do you have a publisher for the novel? No, not yet. I, I'm shopping around for an agent. We'll see how it goes. The Nightwood did your First store part. short stories in Bayeux. Whereabouts are they located? Calgary. Okay. Yeah. They made it after the tapestry? Or? I don't know. Well, again, best of luck with, uh, with the novel and the, the future poems. Thank you. Matt. And fatherhood. Thank you. Okay.